at times it felt like I was trying to heal from multiple traumas that I'd experienced in life. And then the, what really helped me to find my way through those was learning the term post-traumatic growth because although there were times where I did feel like taking my own life was the answer to not feeling pain, I never completely took my eyes off of hope. And because there was always a little bit of light that I would try to find or I would feel maybe burning and, and maybe I wasn't holding on to it, but I kind of sensed that it was there. Because I knew it was there, I felt guilty. It was an interesting dynamic. And it wasn't until I learned the term post-traumatic growth that I was, I gave myself permission to experience grief and growth at the same time. Girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check. Questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you were meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. Sometimes it's our own limiting beliefs and our victim story that keeps us from truly experiencing the richness of our lives. Wouldn't you love the tools to help you develop your mental strength so you can flow with the imperfections and foiled plans in your life and the emotional upsets that actually create rich opportunities to help you become the best version of you. I know I do. And there's often times where, you know, my mess has become my message that I've powered through really challenging times. And it has always been a discipline and a practice to focus on the positive, focus on the little things that I'm grateful for, and to see love in my life. That is an active discipline and a practice of mine. Today, I want to introduce you to a growth mindset guru who has been to hell and back again and now helps everyone as well meet you right where you're at and help you progress to the best version of you. And for me, that means at peace in my body, calm and together. <laughs> Does that sound good? All right, let me introduce you to Karen Allen. She is known as a growth mindset guru a TEDx speaker, published author, a coach, a thought leader, and has her, you know, trained thousands of people in her mindset process. And we want to introduce that to you today. So here we go. Karen, welcome to the Girlfriend Doctor show. It's good to have you here. Thanks for having me, Dr. Anna. I'm just excited to be back and sharing space with you. <laughs> oh, me too. Me too. And and you are living in the town I grew up in. Yes. So from, yes, from a teenager, Doylestown, Pennsylvania, which is Northeast of Philadelphia. And yeah, I, I love this connection. I that is, that is so much a part of my youth and I love Doylestown. And I was mentioning I waited tables at the old Conti Inn and my dad <laughs> ran the, oh my gosh, what was at the um, courthouse motor in. I don't even know if that's still there off the 611. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of good, a lot of good memories. Well, welcome. 
Yeah, thank you so much. I thought that was ironic too, because not a lot of people have heard of Doylestown. So when we made that connection, I was like, okay, yep, we're meant to be connected. <laughs> meant to be, meant to be connected. And and when you interviewed you on uh, me on your show, I I learned so much about you know really dug into who you are and what you've been doing. And I so wanted to bring you back on to bring you on my show and talk about your story and your minds, the way you help people through some really tough times. And I know you've been through some really tough times and I would love for you to share a little bit about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we all kind of, at least at this point in life, meaning you've lived a little and you're kind of reevaluating, you know, where you are and where you thought you would be. Most of us would say, never thought I'd be here. (laughs) And that's definitely how I feel. My story and the uh, catalyst for the work that I'm doing today actually starts when I was 29 and suddenly became a widow. You know, I became a widow before I was 30 and I was like, well, that's not how I thought life would serve my cards. Unfortunately, my husband was actually gunned down while teaching his CrossFit class. And to this day, it's been 10 years now, they still have not found his killer. And a lot of my journey was about how can I choose to move forward when really I didn't feel like it. I didn't want to. People talk about the victim mindset, but no, our family really was a victim of a heinous crime. So finding my way out of that was messy you know, it was not easy. It wasn't like, oh, here are these stages of grief. I remember a therapist said that to me and I said, well, I feel all of those things in one day. So what does that say about me? (laughs) Because I think we've kind of been taught and programmed to believe that so much of life is linear when really, you know, it's not. So after losing Richard, I ended up losing uh, a lot of things. I lost my house, my car, my job, all of that within one year. And I had a lot of moments where you know, I just had to look inward because everything around me felt like complete destruction. And there was one moment when my son walked into my room and he was two and a half when his dad died. And so maybe he was a little bit closer to three when this happened, but he said, mommy, are you going to get up today? And now at this point I'd been lying in bed. Thank God for my parents who were there to help out, you know, with him when they could. But I knew that I was choosing to give up. That's what hit me in that moment. When he asked me, are you going to get up today? Are you going to eat? I was living on autopilot. I was not thinking about my healing. I definitely was not thinking about growth. And it hit me that because I was not doing those things, I was actively choosing to give up. And then this moment really struck me and it gripped my heart was If I didn't choose to get up, then my son's story was going to be that he lost both parents. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I refused to let that be his story. And so I, little by little, just tried to do different things that could help. And, you know, one of the things people talk about a lot is gratitude, for example, and how that can impact the mindset. And now I believe it. And now I know the science that supports that. But at that time, when I heard it, I was kind of, I want to say I was dismissive. That's the best way to put it. Because at that time I felt, what do I have to be grateful for? Mm -hmm. So I started there. And I remember starting within a few days of that moment with my son. And I would lay on the, at night, I'd be in bed, my head on the pillow. And I would say something as basic as thank you for clean sheets. Thank you that there's a roof over our head. 
And I feel like that's kind of what started to put me in the direction of owning my healing, of Mm -hmm. owning my response to life and really choosing how I was going to let this thing create an imprint in our life because it was either going to be detrimental for years to come or I was going to take back the reins and decide how it was going to make an impact on our life. And that that's where all of this started. That's the mindset, the first step in the mindset shift. And, and not to say I know from my experience losing my son and that tragedy, that drama, I mean, we have, again, so many parallels. It is, it was that decision. I know my children are going to face hardships in their life at some point. There's ups and downs, tragedies. I hope not. But how do I want them to face it? Yeah. How do I want them? You know, how can I model for them? And I, I did a lot of mess, messy things. I did sure. a lot of things wrong. But that shift and that recognizing too, how there's this trauma. There's this post-traumatic stress disorder. I hate to label disorders and syndromes as a physician, right? Because they're just like, often we call these syndromes like garbage bag diagnoses. We just throw everything in there. But experiencing the journey through trauma, I recognize there's an energetic shift. You go from living your life and things are good to all of a sudden, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? When's the next shoe going to drop? Where's my child? What's going on? You know, and then there's that sleeplessness, that hypervigilance. And and that is also this negative energy, this downward spiral. And what you pinpointed was gratitude shifts, right? That's a positive shift. And so now you start turning the direction of energy in an upward way. And even when you don't feel like it, just like just doing it because it's physiologic, it's increasing oxytocin, it works. So did you have PTSD as as you were dealing with this? There's one thing about, and I think this is where the Kubler-Ross stages of grief fall short, is the PTSD physiologic component that's, gosh, so embedded into grieving and wondering about your response to that trauma. Yes. Well, I had PTSD and I had PTG, post-traumatic growth. Yes. I like post-traumatic growth and post-traumatic resilience, right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. But first to answer the PTSD, it was very, it came up in different ways. So one at night, Uh, that was a time when my husband and I would enjoy just relaxing from the day, talking about what happened. You know, we would watch our shows, we'd eat our snacks. So at that time, it was very, very hard for me to not stop the train wreck of thoughts, which is why practicing gratitude at night was important for for my journey. I know people, you can do it at all times of the day. Some people talk about doing it first thing in the morning to set your intention. That's great. But there were other things that would awaken something in me. One is as I entered the healing world and personal development world, people talk a lot about, oh, this triggered me. Oh, I was triggered when that happened. And I explained this to my best friend one time that every time I would hear that word, there is something that would happen to my body that I couldn't actually explain. You know, it it wasn't like I got mad that they were saying it. It wasn't like I felt like I was going to start crying. It was just that I could feel this like, this heaviness. And it's almost like I felt like a jolt. Like, why is it disrupting me that way? And for a very long time, 
it didn't match up to me, which is crazy to think, but it didn't match up to me. Of course, it would awaken the same feeling of thinking about a trigger because my husband was shot, right? Like a gun trigger, not Mm -hmm. an awakening inside. That's something that was like a residual effect. Um, Very long time it took for me to, to heal from that. And then there were other just moments of life that whether it would be hearing about somebody go through their own loss would bring me to my knees. I I cannot have a conversation and somebody tell me about a loss and I sit there dry eyed. Like that does not happen in my world. It has definitely increased my empathy. So that was like a reshape where before it would, you know, bring up my loss and I would feel the depths of that grief and it would, you know, it would bring it right back to the surface when instead now I'm like, okay, I know that it's bringing something up in me, but now I have the capacity to hold space for that other person in a way that connects us human to human, heart to heart. So I kind of reframed those moments, but it was ongoing. And and one of the things that I think isn't always talked about is when you go through a sudden experience of death, if there is anything left undone or unsaid in that mm-hmm. relationship, that's a whole nother part of the healing process. It's it's very separate from that person's death. And for my husband and I, you know, we went through like any couple, lots of ups and downs, but there were still things that were not done that, you know, I hadn't healed from that I wish I could have healed through with him. And so that in itself was a journey that sometimes, you know, again, would be awakened through an experience that I was having, a memory that I would have, anything could bring that back up. So honestly, and at times it felt like I was trying to heal from multiple traumas that I'd experienced in life. And then the, what really helped me to find my way through those was learning the term post-traumatic growth, because although there were times where I did feel like taking my own life was the answer to not feeling pain, I never completely took my eyes off of hope. And because there was always a little bit of light that I would try to find, or I would feel maybe burning and, and maybe I wasn't holding on to it, but I kind of sensed that it was there because I knew it was there. I felt guilty. It was an interesting dynamic. And it wasn't until I learned the term post-traumatic growth that I was, I gave myself permission to experience grief and growth at the same time, whatever the moment called for, I would allow myself to be. So if I was feeling hopeful, I would embrace that. And if I was feeling, feeling hopeless, I would allow that to be present too. But I think that once I learned that term and I gave myself permission to heal intentionally and to grow through this experience and not just let it be a bad experience, but, you know, possibly an access point for growth. That's what I later felt like it was. There was a huge shift from experience the post-traumatic stress to experiencing the post-traumatic growth. Let's talk about the definition of post-traumatic growth. And and you said so much. And I think like, like me, if you're listening and you've had loss when Karen said, the things that are left undone, right? Those things that are left undone, I know. And immediately, like for a long time, I can't go to weddings or found it very difficult because the mother-son dance, oh my God, I'm going to cry again. Yes, yes. That's just the left undone. Yes, exactly. I I feel that very much so when I see my son doing wonderful things and his dad doesn't get to experience it. The fact that, you know, they share a lot of the same interests 
I mean, gosh, I see fashion coming through in my son in the way that I was like, that is so something your dad would appreciate. And I feel like, you know, post-traumatic stress very specifically is going to come in intense moments. But then those moments like what we're experiencing right now, I wouldn't classify this as post-traumatic stress. But what I do recognize because these moments don't stop is that we never stop grieving. We just learn how to manage it in our life. And so that also helped me to move through the heavier, more intense, which happened very early on on. It helped me to move through that. And again, leave room that for, for the truth and the reality that I will always grieve this because when I look at my son, I think of him missing his dad. There's a beautiful quote that, that helped me also allow the tears, allow the, the grief. And I think it was, it's by Khalil Gibran. And it says something like that, that same sorrow from, uh, it's on joy and sorrow. It's in the prophet Bashar Gibran. And it, he says, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. It is not the cup that holds your wine, but is not the cup that holds your wine, the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven. And is not the lute that soothes your spirit, the very wood that was hollowed with knives. When you are joyous, look deep into your heart and you shall find it is only that which has given you sorrow that is giving you joy. When you are wow. sorrowful, look again in your heart and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which has been your delight. Wow. And I wow. love that. I love that poem. I love that too. Also that allowance that, that the sorrow is, mm -hmm. is because there was so much joy. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's worth mentioning, you know, going back to the, the post-traumatic growth, because it might've spurred a question in our listeners' mm -hmm. minds is, well, what does that look like? And so I first heard about this term when I was reading Option B by Cheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. Cheryl had lost her husband uh, suddenly, and uh, she went through this exploration and partnered with Adam Grant to, to talk about what she was going through. And as she started to learn more about the science, it really influenced my work to say, oh, this is a, this is a thing. I don't have to feel so bad about it. And so there are actually five different expressions of post-traumatic growth. And they are enhanced personal strength, newfound appreciation for life, which that was absolutely one that I experienced, deeper interpersonal relationships, obviously knowing that I'm as short on this earth. And so finding a deeper relationship and not just surface level, spiritual growth, and then also increased ability to see new possibilities, which ties to having a growth mindset. It's expansive thinking, right? And by learning more about this, I allowed myself to not just live with the scarlet letter of being a young widow, but instead, as I mentioned before, to see that experience, that life experience as an access point for not only my growth, but all the things that I've learned and how I can share those tools or strategies. And these were real life moments that I learned just being scrappy and now sharing those with other people in you know a vulnerable way. Can you give that definition again? I want to write this down. I want my audience to write it down too. Absolutely. So the five expressions of post-traumatic growth are enhanced personal strength, newfound appreciation for life, 
deeper interpersonal relationships, spiritual growth, and increased ability to see new possibilities. I like that increased ability to see new possibilities. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So post-traumatic growth, and that's one thing, converting post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic growth and post-traumatic resilience, the ability to handle what comes our way, whatever comes our way, and creating a skill set to support us in times when we we are uh, experienced in the midst of a, another setback. What are some of the things that help me the steps that helped you. Yeah. Like I have a whole library of things. I bet you do. And you have a book too. I want you to tell my audience I, about your book as well. Yeah. This is it's it's powerful and it's great to hear this. You know, to have this conversation. So meaningful. Oh, absolutely. I, I honestly I did not think I remember I had this like lucid dream and I felt like God was just telling me, hey, you're gonna turn take your pain, you're gonna turn to purpose, you're gonna pay it forward to help others. And the lucid dream was like me being on stage. And I was like, I think you got the wrong person. This is not for me. Uh, but what I realized was, no, it is actually for everyone. And so that's why I do try and shout this from the rooftops. So stop and shift is a method. It's what my book is based on. And it's this methodology that teaches you how you can take a beat in a point of stress. You could be getting ready to lose your cool with your kids. You could be dealing with, you know, finding out that someone that you love has cancer. It, it really could be anything, but it's in that point of stress that we have to be more conscious about how we're interacting with it because it's not the pain itself. It's the way that we interact with it. That's then going to create that ripple effect in our life and in the lives of others. So I did write a book on it. It's, it's my signature keynote, but to back it up just a little more, what I was learning in these like grimy, hard areas of, of my own grief journey was one, I had to face it and I had to feel all those things. Like I, I had to allow myself. So I had to face it and I had to feel it, meaning the emotions, the complex emotions, because there is a story in my mind that I shouldn't go there. I should suppress all these things that I'm feeling because if I do go there, I'll never come back. If I allow myself to face some of these dark thoughts, it's going to get the best of me. When in reality, every time that I would lay on the ground and I would cry my eyes out, I mean, I would cry until my throat and my jaw hurt that those were my like belly cries is I would be able to still get up. And I felt like if you've ever felt a heavy washcloth full of water and then you wring it out, it feels lighter. That's how those moments of facing it and feeling it felt for me was I was just wringing out all of the heaviness of the complex emotions. But after that, I also knew that I had to unplug from the world around me, meaning like I couldn't be on social media because it was messing with my mind. I couldn't look at the news because it was messing with my mind. Like I had to unplug from the world so that I could reconnect with myself. And part of that reconnection was also finding ways to nurture myself. And I'm using an acronym here because this is, so it's funk. You face it and you feel it. You unplug, you nurture yourself. When you nurture yourself, you're doing things like taking a walk, feeling the sun on your face, right? Different forms of meditation or mindfulness. Also making sure that I'm drinking water and not sugary things because that's what my brain needs. What I found out later was this nurture part of the process that I was doing innately has to do with neuroscience and the five ways that we experience optimal brain health. It's like getting enough sleep, 
making sure you're doing some sort of like exercise to get oxygen, hydrating, like these little things actually make a significant difference in how you're interacting with stress. So to nurture yourself helps to equip you to give you the energy and also the clarity to deal with these stressful moments. And then that last piece is keeping perspective. And when you keep perspective, you realize that you may be going through something that's really hard, but that's not the only thing in your life. So gratitude comes into play. Visualization comes into play as well. Setting intentions comes into play. All of that helps you to keep perspective of the fact that this one hard thing is not the only thing in your life. And that's really important because what you focus on expands. So if you're focusing on your problem, all you're going to see is that problem. But if you make room for other elements of life, including bringing in the good, by keeping that perspective, you start to feel like you are in the driver's seat and you can choose where you're going to give your direction. I wanted to give that as like an upfront to stop and shift because that's the space where you're really, you know, taking care of yourself, where you're really making yourself a priority because stop and shift is a, it's a technique that helps you to manage your thoughts. But if you are not in a good place to manage your thoughts, you won't be successful doing so. So I would really encourage you, like, again, F is for facing it and feeling it. U is for unplugging, N is for nurturing yourself, and K is for keeping perspective. If you can move through any funky feelings that you may be going through with those four steps in mind, you will find your way through it. I love that. I love that you made it easy for us. And I can remember that. And I think the nurturing piece is really so important because the physiologic effects of stress, right? When you add stress cortisol to sugar, you're creating a perfect storm of inflammation and a downward emotional swing. And then to allowing yourself those belly cries, you know, it's believed in those instances that crying can produce endorphins and oxytocin. So you get that calm after, like so-called calm after the storm. So the physiology of that, instead of holding back the tears or burying that, you know, again, burying that grief, like, you know, trauma on trauma each time, we also don't allow ourselves to experience it. And one other thing too, is in like post-traumatic growth, whatever, whatever we deal with. And, and this also can carry over to chronic everyday stress. I mean, the chronic everyday stress of the pandemic, the chronic everyday stress Absolutely. that it takes on our physiology, the way life is is changing or different or could change, the fear of of what could be happening. And it's it's to be grounded in the present moment, right? To be grounded, bring yourself to the present moment. What do I know to be true right now? I have children that love me. I have, like you said, a roof over my head. I have, you know, you can just keep going with that. But what do you know to be true at this moment? And that brings the reality into place versus the fear-driven direction of the unknown. And so that has also been a very important skill set <laughs> that I've had to develop over over this last you know decade and a half as well is just that bringing you to the present. What do I know to be real right now? And I always like my cousin Grace would say that God gives you eyes in front of your head, not behind your head. So there's no sense <laughs> in looking backwards. I love that. I love that. And the part on faith, Karen, too, like I, in the midst of, in my trauma, I was like, there can't possibly, I mean, I've prayed rosaries. I, I pray, say prayers every night and 
I was like, there can't be a God, you know, there, I mean, there really can't be a God until like he pulled me up and said, yeah, here I am. And I had a very, you know, spiritual experience a couple times in hearing, in hearing the voice of God or feeling the presence and I'm grateful for that. And also how much I don't know, how much I don't know about the world around me and the the spiritual world, but I, I rely on my faith and I rely on um, peace of a bigger meaning. And I like this quote in the Bible that says, you know, oh, all things work for good for those who love him. Not all things are good, but mm-hmm. all things work for good because that word work, I mean, it's, it's effort, right? It's because, you know, you, you keep getting up, having faith to do the next right step or take the next right step. It's a, it's a powerful part of, of growth being able to have that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, for me, I, I've gotten all sorts of questions when it comes to, you know, God's spirituality, um, because when people hear my story, they're either going to pick apart, see, how's God real if he's letting these things happen? Or they're very curious, you know, when you were in your darkest times, did you, did you lean into him? So the, my story is, I feel like I am grateful for many things. And one is that at several times, several points during this journey, and I really, really felt like giving up and I didn't know how I was going to do it on my own. I felt the presence of God. And it is something that I describe to people, you know, if you have a child, you may be able to see that you love that child through the things that you do. But for the most part, it's just a feeling. And that's what became very real to me during this time was the feeling of the Holy Spirit around me and answering questions in ways that I had never experienced before. And what was so unique about this was there wasn't a point where you know, I was very angry with God, but I had a lot of questions and the way that I talked to God, I'm like, yo, what is going on here? Like, I need to know this is crazy. I I just talked to him very real. The night that Richard died, we were out at the gym and the detectives were out there, you know, looking for different clues or, or evidence. And it got to be maybe one, one 30 in the morning, finally, when I decided to go home. And a girlfriend of mine was with me and she said, you know, I'll stay with you. So I was very, very grateful for. I got back to the house and I couldn't fall asleep, of course. So I went outside and I was sitting on our deck that was just outside of our master bedroom. And I'm sitting out there with my friend and I'm just having this conversation with God. That was a continuation of a conversation that started when I was pacing around the parking lot outside of the gym. Outside of the gym, I was saying, what the hell is going on? Like, why would you do this? I don't understand. How could you let this happen? He was on fire for you. He had changed his life. He turned like, why would you do that? And so it was very much like, I'm not sure what's going on here, but all I can feel is anger. And I don't have a direction to to place it. So I'm going to place this to the person or excuse me, the being that's supposed to be responsible for all things, in, right? In my belief, why would you allow this to happen? But when I got back to the balcony, something else had settled in my heart. So I said, hey, God, here's the thing. If you want me to believe in you, then I need some sort of sign, like a definite, undeniable, you need to come down and like speak to me face to face and just let me know that heaven is real. 
-hmm. because I know that death is going to happen. But what I believe is that there's an eternal life waiting for us. So I just need for you to give me that peace of mind that Rich isn't gone forever. He's gone from this earth, but I'll see him again in heaven. And I look up and for the first time in my life, I see a shooting star. Mm. And then I think to myself, just as fast as I see it, (laughs) you can't do that again. And I look up and I see a second. Oh my gosh. Okay. Mm. So I, I, in that moment, weeping and angry and sad and confused, felt God. I felt a spirit of comfort come over me when I saw those two shooting stars. That was the beginning of many supernatural signs Mm -hmm. that happened when I wasn't like, oh, hey, like, I'm like, no, this is really hard. I need you to show up. And, and I tell this, you know, with caution, because I don't ever want somebody to hear me tell my story and start to perceive God as like this genie. Like that's not, that's not what it is, but I opened myself up and again, several points throughout my journey where I was just like, I surrender, but I need direction. I don't have a person with me who's bouncing things off. I don't need, so if it's going to be a no, for example, close the door and I can't open it. Like that's how I'm, and the words I was always say is I need you to be deliberate and I need to know that whatever you are sending to me, it is an undeniable expression of your answer. Mm-hmm. Every time I pray that, I always got it. And even in the times where I felt like, because I couldn't go back to church when I tried a couple of weeks after Richard's death, the couple in front of me, the husband put their arm around their wife and I lost it. started crying. I was like, I can't do this. I walked out and I hadn't been to church in years after that. And I felt that I grew closer in my relationship with God than I'd ever had before in a church. Mm -hmm. So for me, it also became became this expansive journey of spirituality and not just religion, because I started to experience God in ways that previously people would say, that's not possible, or how would you? And I'm like, I know what I felt. I know what I saw. I know what I heard. Like I had these p- points of evidence and it really just expanded my relationship with him to really find this new, and it's funny, you know, I guess I never thought about this before, but since I just read the definition of post-traumatic growth, and now I'm sharing my, my life experience, it was this like spiritual awakening and this spiritual growth that happened through that experience. Wow. Yeah. Dude, and I think of many signs because God winks moments, right? God I call winks them God moments. hugs. Oh, God I hugs. It. I love it. <laughs> I love it. In those moments, there's a picture hanging up. I have it here in my house here, but it was hanging up over our fireplace in our home in Georgia. And on day seven, seven days post his accident, it's considered a day of ascension. But I looked at that picture and it was like I was seeing it for the first time. And I saw these angel wings that were like, He's a picture of him at the beach at St. Simon's Island. And all of a sudden I'm looking at the picture and I see these wings that are like just the outlined in the water. And I, you know, I think, okay, wait, am I going crazy? Hey, you were at a table of, of, you know, everyone's at our table. And I'm like, can you see this? And yes, we can see that to this day. Those wings are there in this. So that was a God winks moment for me. And And little things along the way. And I think that's one of the things I tell people when they're grieving, look for those signs, be present to the wind, Mm -hmm. be open to the touch, be open to the feeling, be open to the sensation. It's real. It's real. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah. And I still experience them. I mean, so much in so many different ways, but they are absolutely real. They are present. I experienced um, them when I listened to music. I had a lot of that happening up front. When I read something, I'm like, wow, these are my words. Thank you, God, for letting me know that I wasn't crazy. I read them from somebody else's voice and I saw, oh no, there's a... There's just so many different ways that it comes. And that's where I really encourage people to be open to the supernatural mm-hmm. because that's when you're going to experience those beautiful miracles that are comforting and that will bring you peace. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey. So tell us what you're doing today and what you're, you know, where you're leading your life. Oh, it's unbelievable <laughs> because I, I had prayer walls very early on. And my prayer walls, you know, have been so much, you know, like help my heart to forgive, help me to. Uh, so meaning you put up a, a sticky note on a wall. I write full or... pages. Full pages. pages. Okay. <laughs> Each page is topic specific. I could have a page about my son. I could have a page about finances also. Mm-hmm. I could have a page about like forgiveness, anything. And so each of these pages, uh, first it was taped in my closet, uh, in a new home, it was taped to a different closet here. It's taped to a wall. So I just have them up and going back, those things have happened, which is incredible to think. I think about manifestation and faith and how those are completely intertwined. So today, a lot of it is like manifestation of what I felt God was calling me to do. So excited to share, Anna. Thanks for asking. First and (laughs) foremost, uh, I am a keynote speaker and I travel and work with different companies and teach them this uh, mental strength training technique, stop and shift. It was the mind shift that I call that helped me. I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but then I was able to find my words years later. And it really harnesses the power of mindfulness, positive psychology, and neuroplasticity. Again, I didn't realize it at the time, but later through my studies, I found, oh, wow, this this is why it worked. And this is why it's going to help other people. Cause for a while, I just thought I was lucky. I was like, I can't tell anybody about this. I don't know what this is. So definitely feeling overjoyed that I had the opportunity, countless opportunities to impact individuals uh, through companies that really care about their people because yeah. my background is in HR. And when I started speaking, I'm like, I was trying to talk to anybody and nobody wanted to listen. I will tell you that I was losing hope and feeling weary in 2019. A friend of mine reminded me, Karen, all of these, you know, seeds that you're planting, it's bound to rain. It's going to happen. And then 2020 happened and my business exploded because all of a sudden people were ready to talk about how do we deal with grief? How do we deal with uncertainty? How do we develop our, our mental strength? So I was ready to serve. I was ready to serve. And, and mm-hmm. from that, uh, then came the book. Again, something I manifested because a whole bunch of agents and publishers told me no. And then a publisher found me and they were like, yes, and we're ready to publish. So we, I have the book that goes with it. And working with companies to help them give their people the tools to thrive. So sometimes it's through keynotes, sometimes it's through workshops or online webinars, but just partnering with those leaders who are human-centric and who want to create a human-centric culture, that's one of my most favorite things. And then the last piece is the podcast that you were on, the Success Podcast, and talking with other individuals, because I definitely believe that this is so much bigger than me. I'm a part of just a good army, and we're all trying to do good work in this world to help people heal and grow and, and connect more deeply to one another. So the podcast is my way of doing that and showcasing just individuals who are bringing light to this world, like yourself. 
you know, helping women to reclaim their health. Absolutely. We need to have those conversations. So I do. Yeah. So I love that area because it fills my cup back up is speaking with other, other individuals who are serving in their gifts and helping to change the world. I love it. And your website is karenallen.co, karenallen.co. And your podcast is in the details and it's a success magazine production. I love it. And your book, stop and shift. Yeah. And anywhere you can get books, right? Anywhere, Anywhere. Target, Barnes and Noble, all all of it online for fastest delivery. (laughs) Yeah. And on your website, you can sign up to your email list to get like a joyful tidbit every week, some joyful tidbit. And I, I like that. I like that. That's how you approach it. So when you said army, it just made me think every soldier has a defense, right? Has a defense system, defense, clothing, defense, you know, armamentarium, what is in your, like, on a, when you're exposing yourself to a lot of people, there's a lot of energy, mm-hmm. positive, negative, et cetera. What would you say is your defense or your- sleep? In those interactions or later? I think, be, and do you do anything to prepare? One of the, and I say, for example, when I learned that, you know, definitely very empathetic as I worked with patients, I would say every time I went through a doorway to see my patient, I would clear my energy, just prepare myself, grant myself, leave the last patient's energy and experience behind, behind that closed door, because I could go from telling someone they're pregnant to telling someone they have, you know, a miscarriage or cancer or something and, you know, and everything in between. So I had to learn to shift and that opening the door, closing the door was that process. When I went through another door, I had to clear and be completely present again with no past, no future, Mm -hmm. completely present again to receive and help this next patient. So, and that was my experience in the clinical. And then somehow I forgot that for a long time (laughs) when you're outside of the uh, clinic to be able to set up when you're going on stage, when you're preparing yourself, because you're going open hearted, completely willing to serve vulnerable, authentic, and yet protected. There's got to be a way we protect our energy. And I'm wondering how you do it. Yes. I thank you. Thank you. That's a great question. So the first thing that I do is I I am a recovering perfectionist. So I put a lot of pressure on myself whenever I'm presenting to get every single word, right. And to sometimes I, I used to put the pressure on myself to try and memorize, which is crazy, 45 minutes to an hour of content. I, I, it's wild. It's wild. Instead, this was a shift that happened very early on. And it's a place of, uh, of protection. Right before I go on stage, I just say a quick prayer. And I ask God to give me the words that would serve this audience. Mm-hmm. Because the hearts who are here need to hear something that I may not be prepared for. But again, it goes back to what has been a recurring theme in my life is to surrender. But I surrender to be a vessel and to be used to give them what they need to build their mental strength, to help them deal with stress, whatever you know the topic is in that moment. But then also afterwards, when I'm signing books, I that is that's a very sacred space because individuals will start to share some very deep things that the colleagues next to them may not even be privy to maybe not even some people in their family. And when that started happening, that's where I really had to create a safe space for them to know that I was fully present 
and listening to what they had to share, that I also was giving them a genuine answer, not a prescribed one that, because this is one of my tips and this one, like, but really meeting them where they were. And as you mentioned, so my face started to light up when you say this, or you said this is to move from one door to the next, you had the opportunity to do that physically not being able to do that and to close the door on someone, it was very much of every time that I would look up at that person, I would look directly in their eyes because every set of eyes is different. Mm. So it became a new experience. And so now it wasn't about what I just heard or what that person just shared with me, which yes, I'm taking that energy on. Mm, We always are, but instead kind of creating a break and then pulling myself back into the present so that the person who I was now interacting with could feel my presence and not that I was somewhere else. That has really helped me. It's so small. They don't even notice it. But every time I look into their eyes, I'm pulled into the moment that I'm having with them. I like that. And we can definitely take that on to a you know personal basis with our family, with our kids. I think sometimes I'm working and I'm in their presence, but I'm not really there. And yep. But being able to ground yourself in that moment in their presence. And they say your presence is a present. So, and it certainly has been today. It certainly has been today, Karen, thank you so much for being here. You're very gifted. And I thank you for sharing your journey with us and with the world. And I'm here to help you and support you. Be sure when you're coming to Dallas that you come connect with me here in Dallas, we will definitely do something fun. And thank you to everyone who's listening. You, Wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it's Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, or Podcast Addict, wherever it may be, I want you to share, take a moment right now and write down a couple thoughts, a couple inspirations, and one, one next right step that you can take from this information, this generous amount of information that we've received today, and how you can apply this into your life. Because we want consistent transformation and change to a positive wholly healed, just amazing, healthy person. That's what we want to be. That's what I want to be. And I know if you're listening to my show, that's what you want to be too. The emotional, the spiritual, the physical, the mental, it all is interplayed. So be sure to write that down and share this episode with someone you really care about. Thank you for being here, everyone. And a special thanks to our guest, Karen Allen, who spent this time with us. And Till next time, we'll see you on The Girlfriend Doctor Show.